might be opening your Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And I just remembered I forgot to remove my cough drop. I don't know a nice way to do that, so I'll just put it right there. I don't teach you those things in seminary. What do you do if you get up and you realize you haven't removed your cough drop? James chapter 5. And we're going to begin with the prayer that we always pray when we study the theme of God's wondrous grace, which is what we're continuing to do today. So as the prayer appears on the screen, would you pray out loud with me? Dear God of all grace, please grant us the grace to receive your grace and grant us the grace to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there were about 20 of us in all. A beautician sat to my right, a lawyer sat to my left. Uh, one fellow showed up uh, on a Harley. Uh, another guy wore a business suit. Another person had tattoos. Several people were late. All of us were grumpy. You could hardly find anything we had in common, multiple races, both genders. could find hardly anything in common except the one thing we had in common was very significant. We were all confessed lawbreakers. We had all had that encounter with a uniformed officer who handed us a slip of paper. And there we sat in defensive driving class. I did not want to be there. Who wants to spend a Saturday with a group of strangers reading the Department of Public Safety driving manual? But you know, it turned out to be better than I thought. We actually struck up some friendships. It was the honesty that did it that began in the introductions you know, the 20 of us sat in a circle, and we went around the circle uh, giving both our name and our confession. Hi, I'm Max. I went 35 in a 25. Hi, I'm Sue. I made an illegal U-turn. Hi, I'm Bob. I got caught passing in a no-passing zone. We wept with each other. We consoled each other. We distributed tissues. We felt each other's pain. It was honest. And again, I don't want to have to do that again. But, you know, at least the honesty felt nice. All the, all the charades and the masks and the pretense was really checked at the door. Price of admission was an honest confession. I mean, you couldn't be there unless you admitted you'd done something wrong. So you might as well admit it. And get on with it. And the admission, the confession, brought relief. And the confession also brought community. And this was really God's plan all along. In the book of James, in chapter 5, in verse 16, we read some of the most ancient words ever spoken to a church. James says, confess your sins one to another, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
Yes, James is the oldest of the epistles, the first written, most scholars believe. James chapter 5 includes a, a section of, of practical admonition or instruction for the church. So if this is indeed the oldest epistle and we have this section of practical admonition, this is interesting because we have, you just read, the first words ever written to any Christian church about what a church is supposed to do. So the initial admonition includes no words about singing or communion. Those all come later, of course, or behavior necessarily in the church. There, there's a word for the elders, uh, elders to pray for the sick. There's a word for the sick to go to the elders. And then there's this word to all of us. Confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. When I say the word confession, what images come to your mind? Some of you might be thinking of a, you know, a television show where they have a person in the back room trying to beat a confession out of them. You know, maybe you're thinking of, of some, some water torture device. Maybe you're, you're thinking of uh, uh, a moment in a, in a confessional, a, a booth where you uh, disclose your dalliance to a person whom you cannot see who's on the other side of a curtain or a wall. Or, or maybe you envision standing in front of a church and admitting a failure. Some of our images when it comes to confession are, are not very positive, are they? We, we think, then why? Why would the earliest instruction to the church include this admonition for confession what purpose does it serve we begin finding an answer by looking at the word itself the word confession in greek is an interesting word it's homo logeo homo logeo a word that really defines itself homo in greek the same logeo meaning to speak and so when you confess you homo logeo you speak the same you speak the same, you say the same thing. In other words, you agree. You agree. Does that make sense? You agree. You agree with God. You agree with God. You quit arguing with God, we could say. You agree with God. You agree with God that what you did was wrong or not in accordance with what God wanted. Sometimes we think that confession is telling God something that he doesn't already know. Impossible. Sometimes we think that confession is complaining, belly aching, lodging a complaint. And sometimes we think confession is blaming, pointing more fingers at others and no fingers at ourselves. That may feel good for a little bit, but that's not confession. Confession is not informing. Confession is not complaining. Confession is not blaming. Confession is coming clean. Confession is coming clean with God. King David did this, although it seemed like it took an eternity for him to do so. You remember King David, he had his good days, he had his bad days. And one of his bad seasons was a series of stupid decisions that he made once he was a king overseeing the nation of Israel. Stupid decision number one is that he didn't go to war with his men, leaving him alone in the castle with time on his hands and too much testosterone in his system. Stupid decision number two. He wandered out on the balcony and he looked out over the city and his eyes happened to fall on a bathing beauty. 
Stupid decision number three, he didn't turn away. He stared at this bathing beauty, whom I've often thought it's funny. Her name is Bathsheba, bathing beauty, Bathsheba. I don't know if that's a coincidence or what, but stupid decision number four, he sent his chauffeur-driven limousine to pick up Bathsheba and bring her to his castle where he had strewn rose petals on the floor and had some wine awaiting and some champagne chilling and we all know what happened next I'm not making that up I just knew that <laughs> well four to six weeks later she gets in touch with him she says well the baby's yours I'm pregnant and then the stupid decisions just keep going you know what happened he tries to bring the husband back from the war so that it would appear that the, he's the father and not David. That didn't work. He eventually has the father murdered, has him killed. And it's just one disaster after another. The baby is born, which suggests then that we've gone almost a year now since this incident began. And there's no indication that David offers one single prayer. None. Yes, the man after God's own heart has developed a case of the stony stony hard heart finally a prophet prompt and pricked his conscience but he lived with this unconfessed sin for a whole year and the reason I bring this up is because he tells us what it's like to live under the weight of an unconfessed or undealt with sin he said when I refuse to confess my sins I was weak and miserable, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed my, all my sins to you, and I stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me, and all my guilt is gone took him almost a year to do this in the meantime he languished under the weight of this guilt he said he was weak he was miserable and groaning there was no peace there was there was no rest just guilt a load of bricks heavied his shoulders a cloud of gray hovered above him a blade of guilt festered beneath the surface a blade not unlike the one found in the head of a Chinese man. Did you see this story? Li Fuyan tried every treatment imaginable to ease his throbbing headaches, but nothing happened. An x-ray finally revealed the culprit. A rusty four-inch knife blade had been lodged in his skull for four years. Attacked by robbers four years earlier, Fuyan suffered lacerations on the right side of his jaw. He didn't know that the knife had penetrated his skull and broken off at the handle. And he lived with this for four years. How does this happen? No wonder he had such stabbing pain. <laughs> I just had to do that. I, I, He's all right now. He's recovering. But we look at a story like this. How could that happen? 
How could that happen? You know, it's not the first time another Chinese man had to have a pair of scissors removed from his esophagus in 2009. In the April of the same year, a Colorado man coughed up a nail that had been stuck in his nose for three decades. In 2009, a two-year-old Brazilian boy was found living with 50 sewing needles lodged throughout his body. Back in 2004, doctors in France found 350 coins in a man's stomach. We hear these stories, how does that happen? Do these people not know that we cannot live with foreign objects buried in our bodies? Do we not know that we were not made to live with unresolved guilt? We were not made to live with unresolved guilt in our souls you don't have a knife embedded in your skull but you may have something worse what would an x-ray of your interior reveal if we did a full body scan of your spirit of your conscience what would we see what would it reveal regret over a poor choice of words, regret over actions committed way back in your adolescence, your college, maybe shame about the marriage that didn't work or the habit you couldn't break or the temptation you couldn't resist or the parent you couldn't be. And there they lie, unseen, festering, beneath the surface, sometimes so deeply embedded that even we don't know what they are or exactly what the cause is. We just know that something doesn't feel right. We just know that whenever a certain issue is brought up, we feel this, this, this pain. And if I can say, those who know you well, they know it too. They know and they have learned not to bring up certain issues. They, they, they've learned to dance around certain topics. They, they've learned to expect certain mood swings, even crankiness. You can, you can fly off the handle easily. You're prone to overreact, be angry, you're irritable. You can be touchy. Understandable because you have this shank of guilt within you. Would you like God to extract it? The procedure is called confession. It's called confession. The ancients, or we call them the church fathers, they had a phrase for this, a special prayer. It's interesting. They called it the prayer of examen. It looks like the word examine, and, 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 and well, it should. They both come from the same ancestry of words. But examen is slightly different. An examen is that little needle on a pan scale that will land at just the right weight and reveal the weight of the object being weighed. You've seen an examen, maybe you just didn't know what it was called. The prayer of examen is a prayer for an accurate assessment of the soul. For the just God to look into my soul and reveal to me 
the truth. The prayer of eczeman. Like the psalmist says, search me, O God. Know my heart, test me, and know my anxieties. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a prayer in which we invite God to give us a full body scan. It's a risky prayer, isn't it? (laughs) And I wouldn't suggest that you indulge or engage in this type of self-examination without the guidance of God and the grace of God. Self-examination without the guidance and the grace of God leads to two results or two consequences, neither of which is very productive. One is self-condemnation. The other is self-justification. Again, without the guidance of God, if you just sit and you examine your past, you will either condemn yourself or you'll justify yourself. You'll justify yourself and you'll say, a thousand and one reasons you did what you did. Right? Well, anybody would. I was under stress. You'll come up with all kinds of reasons. Or self-condemnation or flagellation. You'll, you'll punish yourself. You'll, you'll, you'll design and indwell a torture chamber of guilt. So self-examination without the guidance and the grace of God, I do not recommend. But under the guidance and grace of God, there is a type of examination under his providential and kind care that can be healing, that can be restoring, that is actually refreshing. What you need is the grace of God. What you need is, is God, a prayer like David's. He finally, he finally confessed. He finally confessed, and here's what he said. Here was his prayer. He said, God, be merciful to me because you are loving, because you're always ready to be merciful and wipe out the wrongs. Wash away all my guilt. Make me clean again. I know about my wrongs. I can't forget my sin. You are the only one I have sinned against. I have done what you say is wrong. You're right. You're right when you speak and you're fair when you judge. Remember what the word confession means? To agree with, uh, to speak the same. So here, this is what David's doing, isn't he? he? He's saying, you are right. You are just. He, he waves the, the white flag. No more combat with God. No more arguing with heaven. No more secrets from God. He confessed. He came clean with God. What about you? Such a prayer might look something like this. It's late evening. It's bedtime. The pillow beckons. But your conscience won't let you sleep. Earlier in the day, there was an argument at the office, and you were right in the middle of it. Words were exchanged, names were called, battle lines were drawn, sides were taken. Tacky, tacky, tacky. And you know that uh, you were responsible for at least, well, At least some of the blame is on you, if not all. The old version of you would have done nothing. The old version of you would have just suppressed it, would have pressed it, would have buried it, would have pushed it into an already overcrowded cellar of unresolved conflicts 
and arguments. The old you would have just pushed it and pushed it and buried it and buried it. You would have lost another relationship. You would have harbored more grudges. You would have become a harder person. You would have become more callous, more defensive. That's what the old you would have done. But you're not the old you anymore, are you? Something's happening to you. Grace is happening to you. And grace changes the way you respond to these things. Because you see, you have discovered what God has done for you. That he has given you the gift of salvation. Something you did not earn, something you do not deserve. A gift from heaven given to you. The greatest gift that you are just a heartbeat away from enjoying all of eternity in the presence of God, in the new kingdom, in the new earth, and it is a gift from God, guaranteed because of the redemption of Christ. Because he poured out the blood of his son at sufficient price. So no one in all of eternity will question whether or not you should be in heaven or not. You're not there because of what you did. You're there because of what he did. You have been redeemed. You have been purchased. You have been claimed. You have been made holy. You have been accepted. Accepted by the beloved. Accepted by God. Once and for all declared acquitted and adopted into the family of God. He gave you more than just a place at his table. He gave you a brand new name. Now you are a Christian. Christ lives inside of you, inside your heart. He is next to, closer to you than you are to yourself. And because of that, he knows everything. And because of his grace, you are happy to confess. No more secrets. No more charades. No more hiding from God. You're willing to take the risk of confession because of the grace, the redemption, and the acceptance. He's already declared he's not going to let you go, right? So because of the security of God, you put your trust in him, and you're willing to confess, to come clean with God. And so instead of going to bed, you go over and you sit in the chair, and you say, God, you saw what I did today. Nothing is hidden from you in all your sight. You saw my attitude. You searched my heart. I'm sorry. I'm just sorry for what I did. It was wrong. And you agree with God. You just agree with him. You confess it. The prayer of examen. The prayer of confession. I find that a prayer of confession is it's more of a lifestyle than it is a prayer. I'm sorry, Lord. I shouldn't have thought that. I, I'm sorry, Lord. I shouldn't have cut that person off in traffic. I'm sorry, Father. Okay, I, yeah. I prejudged. Okay, I'm sorry. And I just had this dialogue with God. I, I, I don't think I'm going to wear him out, but it would sure wear me out to hear me talking like this. But I find it to be healthy because, because the grace of God is just continually flowing, flowing, and we're just dealing with things, always washing them out, not getting lodged up, not getting clogged up, always just kind of cleansing and washing and being at peace with God. And I can just tell you right now, I'm really at peace with God. 
I hope you are. If not, you can be. I mean, just be at peace with God. And I'll tell you, I'm at peace with every human being. I am. Uh, not that I deserve to be, but because I think I've got a clean slate with everybody. I don't know of anything. If I have, come and tell me. I will deal with it. If I've... But you can live like that. It's possible to as much as it's possible with you, Scripture says, be at peace with every single person. No secrets, no games. Can't please everybody. But you don't have to live in fear of everybody either. Now maybe your prayer of eczeman needs to go deeper. King David is not the only one to have a season of stupidity, is he? Maybe you had one. Maybe you did what you shouldn't have done, seduced who you shouldn't have seduced, called who you should have avoided, stayed home when you should have gone to work. Maybe you went through a season of stupidity, and, and as a result, down within you are some, I mean, some serious mistakes that you and God have never talked about. Oh, what a welcome conversation you will have when you go before the God of great grace and you say, God, I've never talked to you about what I did back in high school. I never really talked to you about what I did when I was living in that city. I know you know about it. I know about it. We've never talked about it, can we? And you go and you sit before your merciful Father The scripture says this, if we say we have no sin, we're fooling ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But look, if we confess our sins, he will forgive our sins because we can trust God to do what is right. He will cleanse us from all the wrongs we have done. Look at the certainty of those words. He will cleanse us. Not he may, he had, has been known to or once did for somebody else. He will cleanse us. Do this, will you? Make it a part of your lifestyle to live in a position of confession. Not, again, not self-condemnation, but just, Lord, help me as we're working through this. He's already accepted you. Now it's a matter of developing you and me more and more into the image of God. Let God display his grace over areas of life you've never let him display it. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to get angry. He is full of unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He has not punished us for all our sins, nor does he deal with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of heavens is above the earth. Tattoo that on your chest. He has removed our rebellious acts as far away from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. He understands how weak we are. He knows we are only dust. This will do wonders for your relationship with God. Many people, I believe, live under the, assume, under, under the assumption that God is ticked off at them. I really believe that. And consequently, they don't want to follow him. They complain about him. Sometimes they're angry at him. But really down deep, they're afraid of him because they think if, if they ever really had a conversation, they would be so condemned and so rejected. But once and for all, God has proven we can just be honest with him. We can disclose it. No more secrets. No more games. It will do wonders 
for your relationship with God. And it will do wonders for your relationship with other people. You see, if you're always trying to give the appearance of perfection, you're hard to live with. If you're always trying to appear like you've never done anything wrong or you have all these secrets that you can't discuss or these topics nobody can bring up, for crying out loud, <laughs> you're not very easy to live with. But once you take an honest look at yourself, you assess yourself and let God assess you, let him just declare forgiveness over everything, and you make that a part of your regular spiritual diet like green vegetables. It just comes in and it, you know, fortifies your faith and its strength. You become a delight. You become the kind of person that, well, that you really want to be. Not too long ago, I was at a convenience store. I was checking out, and I handed the credit card to the girl, and and she was doing the thing, and I looked up at one of these uh, television monitors that convenience stores have now that are really security monitors. They're, the security cameras are, you know, watching who's in the store and where they are. And I looked up, and the security camera had happened to fall on the back of some gentleman's head. And here was my thought. I thought, boy, that poor guy's really getting a serious bald spot. <laughs> I looked down, and I signed the thing. I looked up again, and thought, oh, oh, that's me. <laughs> the camera was on me. <laughs> you know, it's good to turn the camera on yourself every now and then. Because once you turn the camera on yourself and you say, you know, I've got a few bald spots or blind spots myself, it makes it easier for you when you're finding the blind spots in someone else. I think there's a verse in the Bible about that. Why do you fixate on the bald spot in someone else's head when you have a big bald spot on no that's not how that verse goes is that's more like a speck in the eye and stuff like that but it's the same idea there's something healthy about allowing God to have an honest assessment of our own souls so that when we have our patience tested by someone else we say you know God forgave me of that I can I can forgive you as well and as a result apologies become a part of the vernacular of the saint it's a good thing to say I'm sorry every now and then two final words of caution number one don't become a legalist with this I've already had somebody say well what if I forget to confess a sin or what if I don't know the sin and don't confess it <laughs> the power of confession is not in the confession but in the one who hears it the power of confession is not in the confession, but in the one who hears it. Some of us have this unruly legalist within us that wants to turn everything into an accomplishment, right? That everything has to be done the right way, so we fear doing it the wrong way lest we be rejected. That went out the window when we discovered that salvation is a gift, okay? So we confess, but we're not saved by our good memory. Because many of us have amnesia. But we're saved by God's goodness. So we rest in that. And then lastly, just trust God's forgiveness, folks. Just trust him. Just trust him. Do you really think that Jesus would die on the cross so that you could spend your life on earth wallowing in guilt and shame? Do you really think that God would shed the blood of his one and only son so that you could become a Christian and yet still beat yourself up for the 
stupid things you didn't do. No. There is a joy awaiting you, a freedom that is beyond anything you've ever considered. And today it begins. It begins with God's grace. Let's pray together. Oh, great God of grace, would you please grant us the grace to receive your grace? And then would you grant us the grace to live it?